We have this cultural idea of what neediness looks like. And it is that hungry ghost. It's like, I have so many needs. They're not satisfied. I'm asking for way too much. The people in my life don't know what to do with me. And that can be true, but usually not when you are really asking for what you need. What's up and welcome to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. Welcome back to the Very Best Self podcast today. I have Mara Glatzel on the podcast. She is at Mara Glatzel, G-L-A-T-Z-E-L on Instagram. And she has a brand new book out called Needy. Yes. So I just absolutely love this topic of conversation and I absolutely loved this episode and chatting with her. She's first of all, just like so down to earth, so chill um, and really talks about being needy, um, in such a way that it's like, it's okay. Like you can be needy. Um, so yeah, her new book is out. Um, she basically wants people to own the fact that we are needy humans and to learn how to identify center and advocate for our needs in a world that is often misaligned with our values. So her, her approach really connects the dots from longing and desire to sustainably, uh, kind of doing what will help create the blueprint for how to create space in your world to be needy and to be okay with it, um, to relegate your needs, to understand your needs, um, and to not put your needs at the very end of a very long to-do list. Uh, and so, yeah, it's about self-care. It's about being needy. It's about, feeling like we are enough and simultaneously feeling like we are not enough and simultaneously feeling like we are too much. Uh, so that's what we're going to dive into today because I think this is definitely something that we all struggle with from time to time. So yeah, I'm excited for this one and I think you're going to really love it. So let's get into it. Here we go. Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast. I am your host, Victoria Brown, and I am so excited for today's episode because we are going to dive all the way into a topic that I feel very, very passionate about. Uh, and so we have Mara Glatz. God, I now I can't say it. Glatzel. I know. Yeah, Glatzel. Glatzel. Yeah. I think we'll keep that in. I think it's fine. Yeah, Mara yeah. Glatzel on the pod. I was having a hard time with her name, you guys. <laughs> But anyway, she is the author of a book called Needy and being needy or feeling needy is something I personally struggle with. So we're going to dive all the way into it today. And I'm so happy to have you on. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. And obviously this is also one of my favorite topics. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So essentially you are redefining self-care in a way that feels achievable to people, which I absolutely love because I think I've talked about it a lot on this podcast, how if you, every time you open your phone and you get on Instagram or you get on social media, just in general, TikTok, what have you, there is so much content that is like that girl content where it's like, here's my perfect home. Here's my perfect aesthetic. Here's <laughs> everything that's perfect in my life. Let me show you my morning routine. That's perfect. Like I, you know, pour my hot water when squeeze my lemon in it every morning. And every time you, I don't know about you, but, or people listening, but every time I see this content, I'm just like, Oh, I have to get my shit together is how I really feel every single time. And it leaves you just feeling so drained. Um, and so I feel like, you know, you've really kind of become an expert in self-care, um, and kind of taken the stigma away from feeling needy, if you will, mm -hmm. about our needs. Yeah. I think that, um, so much is so true about what you've just said and that there's two problems with it. The first is that self-care has acquired this perfectionistic aesthetic so that it's supposed to look a certain kind of way. And not just that, but we're also supposed to be able to share it with others um, in such a way that it's inspiring and uplifting. And 
you know what, face value, okay, sure. I mean, I love it when things are beautiful. I like to, you know, take in things that are inspiring and share things that are inspiring, right? But when that perfectionism comes between you and the care that you ache for, which of course it does, right? Because what if what you ache for isn't something that can be beautiful or perfect or shared? Um, caring for your needs in such a way that that self-care is responsive and not prescriptive, meaning that it's just something that looks good or is what you're supposed to do. Or, you know, here's a list of things that I'm allowed to need because it's okay to need. And what about the rest of my needs? So when I'm thinking about self-care, it's very needs-based. And really, it's the answer to that question of what do I need today? And it might look like squeezing your lemon into your hot water one morning, and it might look like crying on the bathroom floor another morning, right? And and kind of giving yourself some affirming self-talk before you walk out the door. But that responsive piece, I think, is so important. And it is left out of the self-care conversation because I think it's, you know, it's hard, right? We can't just give get ourselves a little checkbox that says, do this, do this, do this, because it requires building a relationship with ourselves, which is a little bit harder than just checking a few things off a list, but infinitely more impactful. Right. I think also it's, it's probably just, like you said, it's about building that relationship with yourself because society and the world can say, okay, journaling makes you feel better. Meditation makes you feel better. Going on a self-care walk around your neighborhood makes you feel better. And yeah, that's probably true about all of those things I just mentioned, taking a bath, whatever it is. Um, but sometimes like you can't just go to this list of things and just pluck one out and say, okay, like this is going to solve all my problems. It really is about getting to know yourself. And like, you know, maybe like for you, it's like, I don't know, painting your own nails, which drives me personally crazy because I'm terrible at it. But you know, there's people who like to do at home manicures, you know, what I mean? I'm just saying mm-hmm. it, it, it can be something more obscure, whatever it is, but it's getting to know yourself. And like you said, understanding your needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and being willing to do the hard things on your own behalf, because so often I'll talk to people who is like, well, I have these things that I, I I'm OK needing these things. But then there's this whole other list of things that I would rather not need. And, you know, sometimes it's I feel more comfortable needing things that I can needs that I can meet myself. And I feel less comfortable in um, needs that require me to go out on a ledge or ask somebody for something that I'm not sure that they want to give me or put myself out there, make myself vulnerable in a certain kind of way. And so when I think about that relationship that you're building with yourself And that self-partnership, it's really showing up for whatever it is that you need, whether or not you feel comfortable with it or whether or not you think somebody else is going to be able to give it to you. And the way that we build that relationship, the way that we rebuild our own self-trust can be such a deal breaker that old way of living where we just wanted to kind of do things the nice way, right? It kind of ruins that perfect self-care aesthetic, but in such a great way, because something that I hear again and again from people is that, oh, I did all of the things, but I didn't feel any better. Mm. Or I did all of the things and it was a waste of my time. Mm. And this breaks my heart because we're putting energy out and we're expecting and hoping to feel less burned out, feel well cared for. But we haven't done that essential piece of checking in with ourselves to make sure that what we're putting our energy into is what we actually need individually. And so it's such a shame to then write self-care off completely as this thing that, well, maybe that works for some people, but not me without doing that piece of relating to yourself and seeing, hey, you know, look, I personally benefit hugely from journaling. Is that what I want to do? Never, not ever. Do I ever feel like pulling out my journal and writing about my feelings? Um, I just don't like to slow down in that kind of way. But that makes such an impeccable difference for me. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way in that sense, too. Um, When it comes to just like free writing, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, what's the point? Like the sentences might not make sense. They might not be pretty. They might not look good. They might not make, you know. And so I feel like I don't want to do it, but then it's true. Ultimately, I do feel much better when I do. Um, So I was reading um, on your Instagram that it was, I think it was a review of your book, um, which it said, uh, where did, where was it? I loved this line so much. I wrote it down. Um, 
basically feeling, it was something along the lines of, um, feeling this juxtaposition between feeling like we are too needy, but also that we are not enough Mm -hmm. at the same time. And I was like, wow, someone just put me into a sentence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I constantly struggle with that. I know I can't be alone in that feeling where you just feel like, oh gosh, you don't want to toe the line between being, you know, too needy. And then also, you know, you feel like you're not enough at the same time. So how do you define that? And what do you tell people who kind of are just not sure how much to give and how much to take and what the balance, how to strike a balance in that? Mm-hmm. Well, first I'll say you are definitely not alone in that. And I have so many conversations that it's like, well, how can this be? How can I be simultaneously way too much and also somehow not enough? That's what it was. And, too much and not enough at the same time. Oh, Yeah. And this feeling like just how can that be? And yet also for so many of us, that is the feeling. Like I need too much. I want too much. I expect too much. I have too many feelings, too many thoughts, too much going on, too many needs. And this undercurrent feeling of needing to do more in order to belong, needing to be better than I am in order to earn my space and to exist and to even ask for my needs to begin with. And what a conundrum it can be to be stuck in there. And I think part of it, so I'll take it piece by piece. The first is that when we think about that too much thing, that kind of hungry ghost feeling, we have this cultural idea of what neediness looks like. And it is that hungry ghost. It's like, I have so many needs. They're not satisfied. I'm asking for way too much. The people in my life don't know what to do with me. And that can be true, but usually not when you are really asking for what you need. A lot of times, like we're trying to fit in, we're trying to make it work, we're trying to be of service, we're trying to, you know, give kind of equal ground in our partnerships, all of these kinds of things, and we're suppressing a lot of our needs. And then they come out in these weird ways, whereas like we'll yes. freak out about something that is Oh, way over here. And it seems like a huge overreaction, but actually we've been suppressing things for so long that they just kind of come out sideways in a certain kind of way. And so it's that feeling of um, not having um, not having a working relationship with our needs. And so we're not really getting them met. And then, of course, we have these kind of blow ups where we're feeling frustrated or unseen or unheard. And that gets branded as needy, right? Way too much. And I think that when we take responsibility for our needs and we start to be in conversation with ourselves and really start to advocate for what we need in our relationships as it's happening in advance before it builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up, then we realize that, you know, we can have a lot more of what we need than we thought previously. And other people can deal with our needs when they are delivered in such a way. But when they're built up, of course, it's overwhelming because it's like, well, I need this and I need this complete opposite thing and I need that complete other thing. And somehow, you know, I am trying to figure it out in the middle of the conversation just as much as anybody else that I'm talking to. And so it can feel overwhelming. But when we start to kind of break it down and ask for things before we desperately need them, before we're upset, then we can bring our needs into our relationships in ways that really work. We also might realize that, you know, believing that one person is going to be able to meet our needs, so many of us do, that's such an unrealistic expectation. And so the more that we're able to be in relationship with our needs, the more that we're able to realize, oh, hey, you know, that's a phone a sister thing. That's a, you know, get a couple of friends together for dinner thing. That's a partnership thing that, you know, that's a therapy thing. (laughs) And uh, we're able to um, diversify where we're getting our needs met. But I think that second piece is really important, that feeling of not being enough, because we're not going to do any of that if we don't think that we are worthy of it and we don't think that we are allowed to have needs and we don't think that 
we're good as we are without being of service. And we maybe have learned that having needs is a burden. And so we, and we try to suppress them to be good, to belong, to earn our, our peace, to earn our keep in our relationships. And so that not enough peace really needs to be worked on in order for us to feel comfortable and confident to begin advocating for our needs in real ways. And so they kind of, it's like push-pull really works together, but it's actually the same thing, right? It's like, I don't feel like I'm good enough. And so I'm doing more than I possibly can and I'm completely overriding my needs. And then every once in a while, everything that I've tucked away kind of explodes and then I'm way too much. I'm the queen of that. Yeah. I am the queen of that. I feel that, that. <laughs> yeah. myself. Yeah. And I just recently started going back to therapy because I'm like, I love what you said about understanding where you should go to have your needs met as well. You know, there are some times when you should go to your partner and then there's some times when you really should go to your girlfriends and then some things that are categorical, you know, you should go to your therapist and talk to about because- I can be very guilty of trying to go to my partner for all of those things. Mm -hmm. And that's been kind of a recent, uh, I don't know, like that's been like a, it's, it's just very topical. I should say at the moment is understanding that like he can't bear that load totally all the time. And so it's so interesting that you're on today because it's literally what I'm working through right now. Yeah, well, you're not alone because look, we are conditioned to believe that when it's right, when you find your person, that that is the person that that takes that accepts absolutely everything about you and that you can bring absolutely anything to. And so true. That can be true. You know, I know that my partner accepts me and I can bring, you know, anything to our relationship, but even I can admit there are a lot of things that they're just not the right fit for. Right. And I would have a, I would have a much more satisfying conversation talking about that thing with, you know, if I'm talking about creativity or writing, there are people I talk to about that. Or if I'm talking about, I don't know, something ridiculous, or if I'm talking about my favorite shows, I'm going to call one of my sisters about that. Right. So I think that part of it is breaking down that idea of love means this is my one place to go for everything. And what happens when that's not a good fit? Because that on the other side, that feels really destabilizing. If you think, well, what does that mean about my relationship? If I can't bring all of my parts here. Now I have very valid concerns about what was once a really nice relationship. And that is problematic too, because it's not true. Right. We can have super satisfying. You just like unlocked something. I swear (laughs) in me. I swear you really did. (laughs) Because it's so true. And you do, you have these swirling thoughts. You're like, oh my gosh, like I thought that this was the, this, you know, and you make up all this stuff in your head and you're like, and then you start to go down this rabbit hole of like, do they not understand me? Am I not like, you know, and it's like, no, like, dude, just it's not one person can understand every single corner of your, your soul. And, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like if I want to gossip about work at, and talk about soul cycle shit, which I do like 24 seven, like maybe he just doesn't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am really involved in local politics here where I live and I do a lot of work in like affordable housing. My partner oh. is amazing, but does not care about town poli- gossip to- about town politics. And I do. You know, there are people who I could talk to about that who just love to talk about it. And I think that's the piece because it's so freeing to no longer have all of those fears. And I think, you know, for me, I have an anxious attachment style. I have a propensity towards being, you know, making something out of nothing. So, you know, what does this mean? Dot, dot, dot. And when it comes to your needs, I had a lot of confusion around, I thought you, you meet your person. I've been married for 10 years. You meet your person and they just know what you need, right? That's love. You don't even have to express a need because they already know and they're going to fill your needs. And that's my job too, for them. Of course, that means I'm, you know, being a good wife. 
and that they're going to do that for me in return. And when they don't, that either means there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with my needs, otherwise they would just be mad. And how much misunderstanding there is in these mind reading situations where we're all expecting other people to know what we need without us having to ask for it. And so I'm such a big fan of elevating these conversations to an explicit level so that we're saying, hey, this is what I need. You know, are you available for it? And they may be and they may not be right. And again, it's not their their um, ability to show up for my need in that moment is not a referendum on the need itself. It's a true statement about their capacity. And it's so important for us to begin having real conversations about needs. And I can know in myself, there's still a well-conditioned part of me that wants to say, well, if I have to ask for it, I don't want it, right? If I have to ask for it, that means you don't think that I deserve it. And then I don't want it, which is such a trap. And so part of this is re-educating yourself from that is an unrealistic expectation. It is totally reasonable that you should ask for what you need. It is totally reasonable that they can't read your mind. And none of this means you're not worthy. None of this means your needs aren't worthy. It's all just like, we can't really know what we are doing or what we're needing if we're not talking about it. Right. And, and this also goes for like friendships. Mm -hmm. It goes for all of the relationships in our lives, you know, even at work with your superiors or your coworkers, like, you know, communicating what you need uh, and just <clears throat> knowing that you can ask for what you need and ask to have your needs met. And it does not mean that you are too much. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's really important. Uh, so how did you personally grow your relationship with yourself to go from self-abandonment to self-partnership? First, I realized, first I, I had to dig into the realization that I didn't want to be stuck with myself. And there's so much grief in there because I think I used to have this idea of like, well, if I do enough work, then I will become somebody that I want to have a relationship with instead of building a relationship with my imperfect and regular human self. And so I didn't even engage in that relationship because I was so devoted to becoming better and, you know, learning more life hacks and learning more skills and learning all of these things and bettering myself in a multitude of directions. And I figured, well, at some point, I'm going to have even earned my own admiration and respect. And I didn't, I wasn't thinking that on a conscious level, but when I started to dig into why am I so disconnected from myself, that showed up. It's like, well, I don't, I don't like myself, but I had been conditioned not to like myself. And I think that's the piece. It's like, there are corporations and organizations and people in our, our everyday life who benefit from us not liking or trusting ourselves. And so the more that we're able to realize, hey, you know, for me, this really had to do with being heavily associated with the diet industry from such an early age. And I was taught that my body was bad. And so I was bad. And if I was going to be good, I needed to change my body in certain kinds of ways. And at that point, my life would begin. And I was never taught to be in relationship with myself the way that I was because who I was was quote unquote bad, right? So beginning to partner with myself required uncovering a lot of grief about that and having to unearth this idea of like, oh God, I don't really want to be stuck with myself. What is this? Mean? You know, I, I prefer other people's company. I want other people's validation. I want out input from the outside because I didn't want a relationship with myself and really getting curious as to why that was and who benefited from that. Because I knew that that was inherently setting me up for a very lonely life. Because of course, I was looking for a lot of external validation and trying to belong to the people around me, but I had completely bypassed belonging to myself. And so I built that relationship the way that you build any relationship, any, any relationship with a new person. It's like, hey, do you want to get coffee? 
hey, you're talking and I'm going to actively listen. You know, hey, okay, I'm going to ask you how you're doing and I'm actually going to care and wait for the answer. And then I'm going to say something, right? And I think that, you know, I'm laughing, but those relational skills often we have very well developed. And so it's transferable. We just take those skills and bring them into our relationship with ourselves and think, well, how do we build trust? Well, we do what we say we're going to do. We honor our commitments to ourselves. Like if I was in a relationship with somebody else and they said, I'm going to be here and they weren't, or I'm going to do that and they didn't over and over and over again, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with that person either, right? right? So starting to really turn towards yourself and get curious and not in a heavy handed way, just like, hey, how are you doing? How do you feel right now? What's going on in your body? Is there anything I can do to support you? But prioritizing those conversations in small ways every single day can start to bridge that gap in your relationship with yourself and also start to yield more data that you can put to good use when it comes to your care, right? It's like, well, I need this. I need that. Um, yeah. I feel like the fix, the figuring it out of it all is always so simple, yet we complicate mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. I love that the simplicity and just asking yourself, hey, what do you, what do we need today? What do you need today? Hey, do you want to go on a walk? Mm -hmm. Like just asking yourself that those kind of things. And the more we have conversations with kind of checking our internal temperature, you know, the more comfortable we get with, with saying yes to the things that we need, um, and not holding ourselves back from our own personal needs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I love that so much. Uh, why do we believe all of the time in our relationships that our needs are such a burden or why do we fear it is maybe a better way to put that question. Mm -hmm. Why do we fear it being a burden? There's a lot of ways to answer this question, but I want to first say that this is scary because sometimes it's true. And sometimes our needs are a burden for the people in our lives. And sometimes our needs are too much for the people around us. And that doesn't mean that we're wrong. It doesn't mean that our needs are wrong. It doesn't mean that the other person's wrong. It just means at that moment, it's a poor fit. And again, we, you know, I love a romantic comedy myself. I've consumed many a romantic comedy in my life. And there's this idea about relationships that, you know, everything just kind of clicks and it works and it's easy. If it's good, it's easy. And we don't see examples of people asking for what they need and having the other person being in the middle of their own mental health crisis or their own grief season and how this kind of we play off of each other where, you know, hey, I need something. Well, I'm not available for that right now. And now I have to deal with my needs by myself, which obviously I didn't want to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have asked and get into that um, figuring it out together. But I think it, it would be too, it would be dishonest for me to say, no, your needs are never a burden and everything about you is absolutely wonderful and perfect. The truth is that sometimes we are overwhelming for the people around us and sometimes they're overwhelming for us. And that is an opportunity to set boundaries and to communicate clearly and to do the work, that relational work of like, hey, I can't right now. How about tomorrow morning? Or this week is really slam for me. Want to take a walk on Monday? Or, you know, I'm not interested in having sex right now. Can we hold hands and watch a movie instead? Whatever the whatever kind of relationship this is, whatever needs are being expressed. But to figure out a way to have those um have that intention be honored without maybe, you know, in a, in a way that works for both parties in the relationship or all parties in the relationship. And I think that deeper than that, we have historical evidence over the course of our lives about what it looks like to ask for what we need. And for many of us, these experiences are very deeply rooted. And we may have had feelings of, oh, my parents are so overwhelmed or so busy. I don't want to bother them with my right. needs. Yeah. Or, you know, we my... make assumptions about what other people's status is uh, and hold ourselves back based on our assumptions mm -hmm. of what they can yeah. or can't provide for us. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And more mind reading. And I think that that piece too, but especially when we're young, right. I find that, you know, we're, pr- we're prone to make a lot of assumptions and we have, we quite literally have a half baked understanding of how the world works at that right. point. And so we're just trying things and some of those things stick and they grow with us to adulthood. And we have this feeling of, you know, hey, if I want to make your life better or if I want to, um, uh, you know, create such a situation where you want to be in relationship with me, that means I have to present myself in this sort of way. And usually that way is without needs, you know, especially, right. you know, if you're a woman, if you're a person of any gender who is socialized as a girl, um, we are specifically taught not to do too much, right? Oh, not God. to emote too much, not to talk too much, not to ask for too much, right? Because otherwise that's going to scare everybody away. And so that push-pull of really trying to be who you are taught to be while simultaneously being who you are is such a recipe for disaster. Uh, yes. Amen to that. That is the truest truth right there. Constantly wondering. It's this It's this t- push-pull. You're so right because it's like, I, you feel in some situations you show up and you're just like, I'm too much. I'm, you know, I'm too loud. I'm too confident. I'm too this, I'm too that. (sighs) And then you think to yourself, like, I'm not funny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not blah, 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 fill in the blank enough. And it's just, it's a constant uh, push pull Mm -hmm. instead of just finding the strength and the courage to just accept as we are, where we are, with whatever baggage we come with, and ask for what we need. And it's really vulnerable to do that, right? It is infinitely easier, uh, easier, maybe not easier. It feels to me infinitely better to present the version of myself that I want other people to see versus the, the huge risk of being who I am and knowing that's going to be for some people and it's not going to be for others and I'm not going to have a lot of control over that and it's going to be what it is. And, you know, I spent so much of my life micromanaging other people's perceptions of me. And that was a huge energy drain. I spent right. tons of my energy in that direction. And I don't do that anymore, but I will say sometimes I miss it because it felt really safe to do that. And so... so- would you say, yeah. is that the idea of releasing what other people think about you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So how the hell did you manage that? Cause I really need some help. Yeah. It's such a, well, it's such a practice first of all. And I think that it is not something that you're going to get good at in private, which is the real. Cru- I mean, I am going through this with my therapist. I'm like, okay, we've only had four sessions, five sessions together. I think I finally started going back to therapy and this has been really one of, I have already, we've already uncovered some key situations we're working through. And I would, I would argue that number one, top of the list is like, it's like you start to, unco- when you get to the root cause of like all of these things, it's like, oh, okay, because you're worried about what they're going to think about you. Oh, okay. So the bottom of this, like the base layer to this is you're worried about what they're going to think. And the base layer to that one is you're worried about what they're going to think. And the base layer to that is you want to be well-liked. And that's really like my common theme throughout everything is that I want to be well-liked and I care so deeply about being well-liked. Mm-hmm. And so I'm... I've always known, I think you always know this shit about yourself. I really don't think it's like, it's not when you go to therapy, I don't think you're uncovering anything brand, brand new for the most part. It's like, yeah, that tracks. Like I knew that about me. Um, but then it's just really kind of pulling the curtain back and being transparent and saying, okay, we know this is what we're doing now. How the hell do we fix it? How do we move beyond it? Mm -hmm. And I'm figuring that out because I just don't know. Yeah. So I don't know if this tracks for you, but for me, yes, 100%. I wanted every single person on the planet to like me. That would be, that is like the gold standard. Not too much to ask, I'm sure. Um, But underneath that, when I got really honest with myself, as much as I hate to admit it, was this feeling of there might be something wrong with me. 
There might be something just not as good about me as other people. There was just this really like very, very base level insecurity that I didn't want to find out. You know, it was I wasn't it was way too painful to let anybody get close to figuring out whether or not that was true. And that was in my relationship with myself, right? Because really being enough, it's an inside job. And it was painful to look at myself and to realize, what am I so afraid that people are going to see, right? What am I so, what are the, what are they going to find out about me? And to start to do the work of accepting and embracing as much of myself as I could reveal even to myself, right? As it became more, um, there are parts that we just lock away because we're not ready for it yet. But, you know, as things become available to you, like accepting it as much as you can and knowing that we don't have to like everything about ourselves to accept those things and to to accept the idea that everyone on the planet has shit about them that they are embarrassed by, that they wish they would rather not have anybody else see, right? We all have stuff and that the presence of that stuff, whatever that is, or whatever it is that I was perseverating on at the time, isn't a deal breaker because it, that all or nothing thinking of, if there's one thing about me that is upsetting or disappointing or embarrassing, then that compromises everything else that I've created, mm-hmm. everything else that I am. And so learning how to um, at least like bare minimum make peace with all of those aspects of myself and with time really embrace them and embrace that understanding of like, we all have stuff that we're great at and stuff that we're less great at. And that's just like part of being human helped me to begin to practice more opportunities of showing up as I am and not micromanaging other people's perceptions of me. And it's tricky. You know, I used to leave every single social event or party wanting to text one of my friends and say, was I okay? Some variation of that. Are you know, we some, the same person? I think some, we are. Some, some variation are. like, did I do too much? Did yeah. I do not enough? Was I, I have just, done that so many you times. Know? Yeah. And, you know, now I do that less. So that's one of those benchmarkers for me. I can see, hey, I do that less than I used to do it. And sometimes I catch myself like I want to send that text and and I'm going to take a moment to affirm myself instead Um, or to really just be with that knowing like, hey, yeah, probably I was too much for some people in that room. Probably some people were thinking thoughts about me that I would be heartbroken by if I were to know them. Um, But, you know, I did my best and that's enough. But that it's really, it is really vulnerable to allow yourself to be human in front of other people. And if you are not practiced in that, it takes practice to become more comfortable. Because for all the perfectionists in the room, I, you know, I used to just try to get good at things by myself so that I never had to be caught in the act of doing something new. And with all of this work, advocating for your needs, showing up in, you know, the world as you are, being a more human version of yourself, there you have got to soft launch this at some point in order to get some traction. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And that sucks. But you will get better at it. Yeah. With everything, you get better at time mm-hmm. in time. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask you about, because uh, we were kind of touch base a little bit on our to-do list um, And I wanted to know, why is it that we think we don't deserve rest until we have checked everything off of our to-do list? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, unfortunately, we're suffering under an illusion that there is going to be an end to our to-do list, which Mm. I don't know. I haven't really found it, to be honest. I mean... Even when sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I did everything on my to-do list. There is always so much more that could be done than I could possibly do, even if I worked every single moment of every day. And so that, for me, is a really useful thing to keep in mind. Because I think about instead of like, I will rest when I am done with my to-do list. I think about pausing the to-do list and 
picking it back up in the morning. And the reason that I do that is because I want to be able to pick it back up in the morning, right? It's an understanding that I am the vessel for all of my energetic output from raising my kids to running my business to writing to all of the different things I volunteer to do. And if I'm not in good working order, my capacity to do any of those things and certainly to do all of those things becomes immediately compromised. And so when I'm thinking about how to how and why to press pause on that to do list, that's why it's like, okay, well, I want to I want my energy to be sustainable. I don't want to be on that roller coaster of burnout where I'm just borrowing against myself until the bottom falls out and I fall in with it and then, you know, kind of have to climb my way back out and then, you know, get into this all or nothing cycle of putting tons of energy out and then getting inevitably really sick or really burnt out and having to recoup. And because I don't want to live that way anymore, I, I must incorporate caring for myself in really simple and straightforward ways every single day. Meaning I'm gonna need a certain amount of sleep. I'm gonna need to have stable blood sugar. So I'm gonna need to feed myself meals at regular intervals. I need to move my body, get outside. All of those things are necessary for me to be able to have the energy to do the things that I wanna do with my life. And it's not possible to do it without those things. And I think it's seductive because we can borrow against ourselves for a certain period of time. But for anybody who has been burnt out, I certainly have, that feeling of things are being taken away from me because I'm so exhausted. I never wanna experience that again, if I can help it. And so even when it is hard to press pause on the to-do list, I do it because of that, because I want to be able to show up for my life in a way that's sustainable for the long haul. And because overall, even more than the discomfort of stopping when I don't want to stop, it is comfortable overall to be well-nourished and well-rested and well-fed. Yeah. So prioritizing those things and recognizing that I love what you said about we're, under, we're all under this illusion that there's some mm-hmm. sort of end to our to-do list, but there isn't. And like mm-hmm. you do what you can each and every day, and then you get up again the next day and you do what you can again. And and that's enough and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of power in that. Um, I think, you know, <clears throat> we just think, I, I feel like also we were talking before we started um, just about seasons and you know, we always, I I find myself, you know, I'm trying to plan a wedding. So it's like, I am very much victim to, I've just got to get through this week. I've just got to get through this season. I'm in the peak of the planning and I just got to get through this hump over this hump, but then there's always another thing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I do know. And look, it's, it's a both and because in some ways it is true. When you're planning your wedding, there's a lot in that. And that is a really busy season, but I'm always interested in the pattern, right? So the pattern of putting my needs out there somewhere until I get over this thing. So, you know, right now I'm in the middle of launching my book Needy, which I've been working on for months. I mean, I've been working on the book for years, but I've been actively working on the launch for months and will be for, you know, a period of time in moving forward. And I've had to be really conscious about that because in some ways, yes, this is a time where I am busier than I would be otherwise. And I have absolutely made that agreement and that commitment. And that means that I have to say no to some things during this time, even if I don't want to. And also it means there's going to be a time afterwards where I am going to have to prioritize my care in a way that maybe I didn't do during this time. And, you know, really acknowledging that we can't punt our needs out, you know, eternally. Um, But we can do it for a time and we do need to do it for, you know, things happen, right? People get sick in our lives. Um, We have to take care of things. Uh, All kinds of stuff shows up. And so the more that we're able to take care of our needs on the whole, the more resilient we're going to be during those times where we inevitably have to give more of ourselves than 
um, we may otherwise. Yeah. And that's, that's so true. I, I mean, I have a, fr- a good friend, uh, whose wedding is happening in Austin and I really want to go. I want to go so bad, so badly, but I'm just, I know physically, emotionally, even financially, like I'm just tapped in this season. I've, I cannot add another trip onto the books. And so, you know, it's like, I had to say no, and it sucks that it fell during this season, but you know, I have to honor, you know, otherwise we do find this, mm-hmm. find ourselves in this place of borrowing time from ourselves and borrowing energy from ourselves. And you can't say yes all the time. You just can't. And so you've got to prioritize, you know, the no, when you're in certain seasons, when you just can't, just can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to feel good. So honoring that, um, I'm trying to see what other questions I have. Oh, I have one more question. Uh, well, two more actually, um, because I have never heard of this specifically. Um, you talk about emergency self-care. Mm-hmm. So I'm a meditator and my meditation guru who kind of taught me how to meditate and how to teach meditation, um, would always say that they're, you know, most people are crisis meditators. So they'll only go to meditation when their life is turned upside down and everything is terrible. And they're like, okay, I'm going to go meditate and it's going to solve all my problems. So you can't be a crisis meditator. If you want meditation to work in your life, you have to be consistent with that practice and you have to show up for it every day. Um, and so I'm wondering if your definition of uh, emergency self-care is kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, I'm only going to turn towards myself or care about myself when the shit hits the fan and it's an emergency. And then I'm going to give myself just enough so that I can get back to work until the cycle repeats itself. And I mean, many of us, care for ourselves in this way. And so I'm not saying this judgmentally, but I am with love saying, is that working for you? Because it was, I mean, it was working ish (laughs) for me, I guess. Um, You know, I mean, nothing truly horrible had happened to me, but I felt terrible in that cycle. And I was not at all considered by myself um, in that cycle. And that piece too of giving ourselves just enough to keep producing and seeing our value inexplicably linked to what we do for other people, what we produce for other people, instead of I require care because I'm a human being and a human body and human bodies require care. We need rest. We need food. We need water. We need breath. You know, we we are not self-sustaining in such a way that we can just, you know, take our needs uh, or put our needs aside on end. And so the more that we're able to do less and more often, right, like meditating, it's like if you meditate for two minutes a day, better than nothing, right? Right. Certainly better than nothing. And also when you need yourself, because you will need yourself and that crisis happens, the more devoted that you have been to the practice, the more easily able you're going to be to jump in, to use what you need, that, those practices in those moments. So you know, you don't want to have that be the first time you call, right? <laughs> when uh, things happen and you need yourself, you don't want that to be the first moment where you're now moving in a million different directions and trying to meditate. When we get into these regular practices of caring for ourselves, then, you know, when we lose our job, when somebody passes away, when we get sick, when things inevitably happen because life happens, we will already have such a bank of tools at our disposal to be able to relate to ourselves, see, well, what do I need? Advocate for those needs. What you are, what you give to yourself when times are easier will be such gifts to you later on when times aren't. And I think that's such an important um, lesson and honestly, for myself, it was hard, hard learned. And so I please learn from me. It's like, don't wait until something bad is happening. And you realize, well, God, I need I need so much right now to start the conversation with yourself, because at that moment, you're not going to have the bandwidth, right? Better to start in little ways every single day. And to 
then have that data and that self-connection when you have to make a big decision or you have to figure something out that seems bigger than you. The more intact that your connection is with yourself, the more easily you're going to be able to navigate every part of your life with ease, with confidence, and make decisions on your own behalf that are actually in your greater interest. Amazing. I love that. Um, So last question I will ask you today is, what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Mm. What would you tell younger Mara? I think that I would tell her to stop trying to win absolutely everybody over and focus her attention on the people who really want to be in her life, who really value and cherish her instead of being that kind of validation junkie and just like looking for more, looking for just wanting everyone to like me all of the time. And maybe in the process, overlooking some people who truly adored me that, you know, I I deprioritized because they weren't hard to win over, like prioritize the people who are not hard to win over, who just really want to be around you. Because the more that you have that, um, your inner light reflected back to you, the more confident you're going to feel in it. Amazing. I loved that answer so much. Thank you so much for being on. I loved this. Um, And you guys make sure that you run to the store and get her new book called Needy. I love it. Thank you so much, Mara. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this incredibly epic, I will say, uh, conversation with Mara. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I feel like that I just, for me on a personal note, I feel like I unlocked so many different little, I don't know, things that I was just like, okay, yeah, like there's certain bits of myself and pieces of myself that are, you know, good to talk to friends about, or good to talk to therapists about, or good to talk to my partner about, et cetera. Um, and I really love that because it just, I think what it does is give you permission, right? And there's a couple of things that I wrote down even during this episode. Um, if it's good, then it's easy. That's something we've been telling ourselves from the beginning of time about relationships. And it's not true all the time. It just isn't. Like it might be in the beginning stages of a relationship, but that will not be true throughout all the phases of a relationship. Um, if it's good, it's easy. Um, that's just not true. Um, and then the other thing uh, that I really, really connected with so deeply was that we are all under this illusion that there's an end to our to-do list. Um, and if we can just get to this place, if we can just cross off all of these things, then we're going to feel good. We're going to feel like complete. We're going to feel like, you know, we're worthy of something. And it just isn't the case because there is no end to any to-do list. There will always be another thing. There will always be another task, another goal, another thing. And so For that reason, because they're never ending, we have to be certain that we're not putting ourselves at the bottom, right? So that was really it for me today. So many, so many golden nuggets. Definitely run out and grab Mara's book, uh, Needy, and make sure you give her a follow on Instagram at Mara Glatzel. And that is a wrap. Follow me on Instagram at Victoria Brown. Follow the pod handle at Very Best Self. Please, please, please do subscribe to the podcast. Leave us five stars. And if you have an extra second, please leave a review. We would really, really appreciate it. That's a wrap for today. I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.